0: I'm recording this in my very, very, very hot apartment right now, dude. Holy God. Dude, I wish I had an AC unit right now. I wouldn't even care if it bothered, like, all the audio in the background. It would just be one of those things where you'd be like, "Hey, who cares? At least I'm comfortable. (laughs) Oh, dude, we're talking basketball all the time, every day. Because guess what? It's going to be the finals pretty soon, and we have probably the greatest finals I have ever seen, where it's just nothing but underdogs. You got the Clippers, who have never won. You have Atlanta, that has never won. You have Phoenix, that hasn't been there since Barkley was there. And you got, uh, who else is it, Milwaukee, who hasn't been there forever, which they're my favorite to win, because God knows, man, I want to see Giannis just win it all. I love his mentality. But speaking of basketball, uh, I saw the documentary The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. Been watching it uh, over the weekend. Just finished it yesterday. 10 part series. I thought I had finished it prior, but I was like, nah, there's no way I had. Uh it turns out I had got to like episode six, and then Netflix released the entire thing. So God bless Netflix for doing that. Watching the Bulls, man, especially that run in the 90s that they had. Um th- this is the thing that this is the thing that always kills me. Is the the GOAT conversation. Right? It's Braun, LeBron, Kobe, and Jordan. It's always those three. And the conversation usually starts and ends with uh who's the goat. And people immediately always go Jordan. Because right? it's like, Yeah, we well, had six championships, there were three in a row, two back to back, and uh one somewhere in like ninety four or something, right? Of, co- of course Kobe had a a great three peat as well from two thousand to two thousand two. And LeBron has been to the finals like since he pretty much has been in the NBA. Like he just goes every year. It's the LeBron show. It's LeBron versus uh, whatever version of the conference that he wants to stick in This year it's the Lakers Then it was Heat Then it was Cav- uh, the Cavaliers um, I, After watching this documentary I think I have to go with Jordan On just sheer Just wanting to win Like Watching this documentary Watching Michael Jordan And his competitiveness And his I don't care about anyone or anything Except basketball and winning championships for the Chicago Bulls. Really put it up there, man, because he lived basketball. He lived it. Watching this documentary, dude, and and you would see that he would spend all his time in the gym working on, like, one aspect of his game, and he would just do that until he completely got it right, until he just worked on it and got better at it. Uh, There was a part of the documentary where – the Bulls really had a, a really tough time with the Pistons. Like, they muscled them. Isaiah Thomas and that crew would just bully Jordan and Pippen and, and Horace Grant and all those guys to the point of, like, they. Anytime they met him in the playoffs, uh, they lost. Right? Isaiah Thomas would just body him. Isaiah Thomas was just such, such a bully, too. Like, everybody hated him in the league. and But mostly Jordan, just because out of sheer, like, he wanted to freaking win. And you saw this point in the... Uh, in the, in the documentary where he spent like an entire offseason just putting on muscle mass and just working out and just lift training. And it's like for a basketball player, man, it's not something you necessarily do. Like you don't want to put on a crazy amount of muscle, right? Cause you're, you're doing a lot of cardio anyways, right? It's, it's, it's hard to maintain that. Not only that, it's like you're putting on a lot more weight with muscle. It's, it's harder to run, but it's just like Jordan really wanted to win. Um, the only second thing to that I would think is Kobe because Kobe had that Mamba mentality. He was the only other guy who would just focused on basketball until he would win, uh, to the point of it. It didn't matter the people around him. It didn't matter anything else. It just we're gonna win. This is how we're gonna do it, and I'm not gonna celebrate until it's done. Right? Remember that was that. Uh Interviewer, where, where it's like, Oh, but you guys are up at two nothings. Like, it doesn't matter, we still need to win two more games, right? This is a series. Why am I gonna celebrate it too? Job's not done. Everyone always talks about that job's not done. Watching Jordan, though, you could tell, man, that this is his whole life, which is playing ball. Like, his, his parents really embraced that in him and just to play sports and get better at things. Um, to watch the team that he had around him now. now I think the GOAT conversation as well. The other thing that people really kind of give it to Jordan that they don't give it to Kobe or they don't give it to LeBron is the fact that those guys had super teams. Where I think Jordan did have a super team. Uh, Pippen was an amazing player. Dennis Rodman was crazy defensive like that. That was something you really needed. Same thing with Horace Grant. Like, that guy was just a big body, just completely covering up the lane and, and taking up the paint just to the point where you were not getting any easy twos. That was a super team. I just I think back then though you didn't really have that like, you didn't have really have the media for that. It's just those guys are really good role players to those guys. Uh, Steve Kerr was another one, coach for the uh, Golden State Warriors. Use that the other the other thing that I really enjoyed about it too was all these guys who have gone on man have gone on to do really really great things in basketball outside of just playing for the Bulls. Steve Kerr coaching the Warriors man in that crazy run that they had in these last couple of years to the point where like basketball was actually starting to get a little boring like it just got to the point where it was just it was Cleveland and it was the Warriors and the Warriors were always winning because they had drafted a really really good team and it's no it's no knock to them i just i think they got to a point where they were so dominant man that it was just like it didn't matter what you watched because the Warriors were just going to win like Steph Curry was just a goddamn phenom uh, same thing with Draymond and Clay. It's just like you had all these guys that came out of nowhere that were just completely dominant, and I think a lot of that helps with Steve Kerr, that you have a guy who is familiar with that. He's familiar with winning. He's familiar with success. Deep runs in the playoffs are something that I've never done and, uh, because I've never been a pro athlete, but I can only imagine how nerve-wracking it's got to be to get to a point in your career where you're so deep in the playoffs and just the idea, just the idea of getting the Larry O'Brien trophy, it's, it's got to be, it, it's got to stun you a little bit, right? It's, it's disorienting to think, man, we are so close, and it's just the sheer amount of mistakes we can make. You know, obviously the other team that we're playing in the finals or in the, in the conference finals is just as hungry as we are. It's just, it, it's got to feel really weird. And so when you have a guy like Steve Kerr, who's like, nah, trust me, dude, we've been there before. All right, this ain't nothing new. You just keep you stay focused, you keep winning games, and we stick to the we stick to the plan. I, I think that's really, really good. And I think that also helps with the GOAT conversation It's just the, the fact that you have these guys who are locked in with that, man. There's a lot of commotion. There's a lot of commotion, man, in basketball. When you start getting deep. Um, the same thing goes with like LeBron and stuff, man. I'm you know, when you get to the finals as many times as that guy has, it just it becomes familiar. I, I truly believe that. But, like, like going back to the super team thing that I was talking about, it's like, yeah, Jordan most definitely had a super team with him. I just don't—I don't think it was on the level of, like, when LeBron went to Miami, when he had Wade and Bosh, and they were the same thing. Like, everybody was just, yeah, they're going to go 82-0, and the first thing they do is they lost to the Mavericks, right, like that— Plus, too, that that Mavericks team was—it reminded me so much of the Spurs. Like they were just a hard-cut team that was like, "We stick to the plan. We're not going to stick with anything flashy. We're not afraid of LeBron. We're going to lock him down. We're going to take the title. That's just how it goes." Which, obviously, Jordan had those same problems too. The only thing is, Jordan didn't stop. He never stopped. Like I'm watching this documentary, going, "There's, there's no way this is true. There's just no way this is true that he would just spend essentially days." just on a court. I mean, we're talking hours upon hours, like to the point where it's like 14, 16-hour days, just working on fadeaways, working on free throws, working on trying to hit those corner threes, working on screens, dude. It was really crazy to watch to the point where I didn't... I was watching this going, is this a Michael Jordan documentary or is this a Bulls documentary? Because it just seemed like there was a lot of focus on him. I would say the documentary itself is a little... The whole thing is, is back in, in 90, uh, 97, I think I'm getting this right, uh, there was talk about they were going to split that team up. No matter how good they were, uh, no matter how dominant they were com- through the complete 90s, uh, their owner was like, it's done. We're not going to pay everybody. Um, we know we had a great run, but we're seeing it come to an end. A lot of guys need to get paid. Um, we're probably going to lose a few guys. We had a weird couple of years in the gap year where Jordan decided to go play baseball and... We're not quite sure if he's feeling that way either uh, But that's going to be it They called it the last dance uh, And as they would Talk about this in 97 I think it was 98 as well uh, They would just go back to like the beginning They'd talk about like when Jordan first got drafted Back in 87 His time in, in North Carolina his, his shoes and stuff And then they would just kind of come back and, and talk about 98 again It's like yeah, you know 98 we all knew it was going to come to an end Can we win the championship? Can we not? We don't know and then they just go back. I, I will say on that aspect, I think the documentary fails a little bit just because it's so, like, if you're not really paying attention and you're just watching the timeline, you're going, I'm sorry, did I miss something? I must have missed, like, 30 minutes. I swear, I was looking at my phone. There were times where I felt like that. I was like, ah, what is happening? Why are we talking about this right now? So I think on that aspect, I think the documentary falls a little short, but I think this documentary was amazing. Not, all, not only that, but just the amount of footage that they had. Like, I thought it was just so cool that they had this all-access thing where these cameramen would would go and document everything that was in the locker room, document all of Jordan's workouts. It's it's really cool to watch, man, because as a fan of sports, I love watching these guys, and and I I appreciate the kind of down-to-earthness that these guys have, right, as they're just kind of working. You know, you only really see them on the court. You only see them as they're, you know— as they're playing, as the superstars that they are, and then when you kind of see them off the court and you just see how they're kind of just kind of going through a, a process that gets probably really tedious after a while, right? I mean, you have to talk to reporters, you got to work out, traveling. I'm sure that traveling, out of all of it, is probably the thing that probably sucks the most. There's even a point where um, they were talking about, I, I think it was the 92 season, where um, Jordan and the Bulls, uh, we're playing the Suns and the Suns came back, were able to win one in Chicago. And you could just tell how pissed off Jordan was. He was like, dude, are you telling me? Yeah, we have to go to Phoenix. Fucking Phoenix to go win the championship. I do not want to get on a plane to go win one game on a championship that we should have just swept right now. It like it wasn't even like we, you know, hey man, you know, Phoenix might be able to get a little momentum here. You know, something bad might happen. No, it was just, we know we're going to win, but God damn it, you made it so hard for us, Charles Barkley, you bastard. We have to go celebrate our championship run in stupid Phoenix. God. Spe- speaking of Phoenix, Phoenix is in this as well. Good old Devin Booker. I badly want to see Phoenix win as well. Uh, but look, there's only one. And I badly... I want Milwaukee more to win than I want Phoenix to win just because I friggin' like Giannis, man. I think even the game... Itself, like, watching Jordan play and watching those guys, like, uh, the way that era played out was really rough, man. It it is nowhere near how it is now. Uh, And I think the thing with, like, phones and media and just, like, the access these guys give to themselves, I think it takes away from it a little bit. It's like when you're watching, like, Devin Booker play Fortnite and stuff, you just, like, he's hanging out with other superstars. and They're all just kind of buddy-buddy with each other. It's just, I'm not knocking it. I'm definitely not knocking. it. I think it's cool that these guys all hang out with each other. It's it's almost even more fun to watch when you're seeing these guys just kind of play around and goof around. But it's like, back in Jordan's era, you didn't make super teams. It was you, and then the team that you had built around you, and you scratched and clawed till you got a trophy, right? It wasn't let's all you know all be friends and stuff. It's like, no, fuck you, Jordan, as Charles Barkley. I'm going to bring a title to Phoenix. And you're going to watch me do it. Same thing with Isaiah. You know, I'm going to bring a title to Detroit. And I'm going to be the one who does it. It's like it was such a a, only one person can eat and we're all hungry mentality. And it, it was so, so brutal to watch. But I loved it, man. I loved it so much because we do not have that in the NBA now. You know, I, I think Giannis with Milwaukee, and that's the thing that I really like about Milwaukee is that that guy is taking the pieces that are already there saying we're going to build a team around this, build some support, and I'm going to put this team on my back and I'm going to go win a title for Milwaukee. I'm going to go bring a title back to friggin' Wisconsin. And I I think that is admirable in so many ways, right? Because the league now is very much about like, dude, how many superstars can we get on a team? And for the most part, it never usually works. Like for example, Brooklyn did that. Uh, I think two years ago now, I think at this point, where they brought in Harden, they brought in Durant, they brought in Kyrie, and they lost. They completely lost. They lost to Milwaukee, which Milwaukee didn't play them very well, but they still lost. And injuries kind of plagued them, and it was just—it's one of those things where you go, dude, even if you did win a championship, it almost knocks it a little bit because you teamed up all together, a bunch of superstar guys who— Need to drop 40 points, all got together, and now you kind of wonder about, like, you know, who really deserves that. Especially a lot of these guys, man. Like, Harden has been a, um, a, a as they call it in the league, a ring chaser. He has just been chasing a title for God knows how long already. It's like, you spent all that time in Houston with OKC. Now he, he just came over to Brooklyn because he just, like, you know, I think there's a caliberness here. Same thing with Durant. He immediately went to the Warriors after spending all that time in OKC, and just said, "Uh, "Screw it! I'm just gonna, I'm gonna join the most dominant team as one of the best, probably top three players, and we're just gonna go win a a really easy title real quick." And it, it takes away from it a little bit. I think it does, only only because it's like, you know, you're gonna be so dominant in in a league full of people that are also feeling that kind of pressure. Right, You see a lot of these players, man. You see like Russell Westbrook, who's crazy dominant as well, who I know he feels it, where he's like, dude, screw it, let me just go join LeBron or something. Anthony Davis did it as well. It's like his time in, with the Pelicans were like, if he doesn't win a title when the, within the next two to three years, he's probably just going to join a super team. Of course he did. He joined LeBron. So it's just, you watch the league now, you understand, man, look, if we're going to give it a try. If we can't give it a try within... First couple years, especially as a rookie, then sure I'll join it. Same thing is happening right now with Luca, in Dallas. Uh, his his time, his tenure there is just it's coming to an end. But it's like these guys back in the '90s and '80s, they did not do that. They will spend their entire career trying to chase a ring, trying to chase a trophy, for the sake of knowing that they did it themselves. Right in their team, it's just just to rub it in each other's faces. It wasn't even almost for the trophy. It was just the fact that like. You are the top dog in the NBA right now, and we're gonna try for it again. I, I think that really gives it to, to Jordan, man because Jordan really did put that team on his back. We're talking about a player man that scored on average 45 to 50 points a game. That was just something that was just was not heard of back then. and even Jordan's game, the way he played, it's like you'd watch him and he just the amount of control that he have. When he was up in the air, as he'd go shoot the ball, he'd position his body correctly, he'd, he'd drive the lane and immediately put the ball up just to draw the foul, and then still kind of lay it up, it, it's almost like he levitated for an extra like two seconds while he was up in the air. It was crazy to watch, because he had like this really long kind of frame to him, right? And that when he'd jump, he'd get up really high, and he just ment- mentally, he knew, like, I'm really high up in the air. I have a few seconds here. I can position myself to shoot. That's something you don't ever see in the game now. Um, and he only got better at it as time went on. Not only that too, but like, Jordan, like throughout this entire documentary, you're watching Jordan like drinking beer and smoking cigars, like playing golf. Like, like these are all things that are so not healthy for a basketball player. It's like all the things that you don't do, he was doing. You're playing golf, it's terrible for your back. you were literally hunched over every time. By the way, There is a point in this documentary that I was like, it's pissing me off how much they continue to bring this up. Even the one of the ladies that they brought in, her name was like uh, like Hannah Storm or something. I was like, shut up. You shut up already? Where they were talking about Jordan's, um, you know, he had a, a problem with gambling. It's like he didn't have a problem with gambling. He just, he had a lot of money and he bent it. It just, Jordan had a competitiveness to him. It's like winning was the only thing he cared about. And he just—it he, it was on the court. It was off the court. That's just how he was. He'd bet a lot of money. He would spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars playing golf against people. There was a point where he was playing golf with, like, some really shady dude who turned out to do some, like, really, like, white-collar kind of crimes or some type of weird, like, money laundering stuff that Jordan didn't even know about. He was like, I, I don't know. Just that guy was playing golf, so I played golf with him, and we'd spend a lot of money together, you know. And Jordan gave him, like, a check for, like— $57,000 and people were like, oh my god, you know, Jordan's in on some bad thing. It's like, no, he's just, he owed some money, he lost. That's just what it is. Uh, there was another point in the, in the documentary too where they were talking about, you know, Jordan was, it was like game three of one of the semifinals, right? It was like a second round and I guess he hung out with his dad in like Atlantic City until like two o'clock in the morning, just gambling and people were like, all up in arms Which was so weird to me It's like This is the thing that kills me too Sometimes about sports Is that sports is reported Just like how the news is reported It's the reason I don't watch the news It's like the news has to be Continually on It's just It's a 24-7 thing So it's just Any little aspect You have to just Blow it up to everything Just, just so you could get a story out of it Because God knows when you get like Three or four days Out of this stupid little thing That might be a controversy and it was clear that they were doing that with Jordan. It's like, they, they really try to blow it up to make it seem like he was just this person who just bet like, his, his children's tuition money on stuff. And it's just like, he was not that. Um, I really was not a big fan of how much they, they brought that into the documentary, but I guess it was important just because I guess that was a thing that was going on in the 90s with him and the Bulls. The other part of the documentary I really want to talk about is Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson, God, dude, that dude is a legend in his, his, his own right. I did like in this documentary they really broke down the triangle offense because I swear to you, I, look, I got into basketball when I was like in middle school. Uh, it's one of those kind of later sports that I didn't really grow up with. Um, so kind of getting into the game and just understanding players, like there were just aspects of, of stuff that I just, you learn later on, right? So I didn't I didn't really know about Phil Jackson um, until I did a little bit of research in Back in like two thousand and eight ish, right? That that's for for me, I just saw Phil Jackson. It's like, oh yeah, he's a you know coach for the Lakers. You know, guy he got lucky with, with Kobe and, and Shaq and I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, he's just some dude. Um then I looked into him a little bit and I just saw the way he ran that triangle offense and how brilliant it was and the way completely dominated with the Bulls. And you go, dude, that guy has won a lot of championships already. And now he's winning even more championships with the Lakers. Now, people always say, you know, maybe it's a little bit of luck. It's just the fact that he got, you know, when you talk about the greatest players in the, in the world and the NBA of all time, if you talk about, like, top five, that guy got to coach two of them in the top five with Kobe and MJ. I don't think that's really the case and the reason I don't say it's really the case is because there's a lot of coaches in this league a lot of them a lot of them that got to play with a lot of great players got to coach you know really good teams I look at like Doc Rivers and I got to look at like that Celtics team that he uh, coached a couple years back and now he's just been bouncing around from team to team since then it's like the minute it was it turned sour and got bad they immediately let him go um that was not the case with Phil Jackson. You know, they had a really kind of rough, uh, kind of a rough patch there with the Bulls uh, after MJ left when he went to go play baseball. And it's like he stuck around. It's because those guys had a lot of respect for him. Even the players they have now, right, like Shaq, Kobe, Jordan, all those guys had just a massive respect for him. It's like Jordan was gonna leave if, if Phil Jackson was gonna leave. It's like that's how much they loved playing for that guy, and just how much he had such a high basketball IQ, and just an ability to be a leader. He just knew the game, and on top of just knowing the game, he had a passion for the game. He, he knew all these guys, he knew the roles, and it worked out so well for them, that you just saw the way Phil, and plus too, the way he would handle himself with media, and, and just kind of off the court. It's like, there's so many parts of, of sports that are important just outside of just playing. One of those is is your demeanor and your reputation, you know your attitude toward the media, which is so I can only imagine just how much it sucks just having microphones and cameras in your face every week, you know weekend, daily. Just you know oh, you know Jordan, you guys lost by six, Do you know just mean that you guys suck forever. It's like can you just leave me alone? God man, we lost one game. Wow Jesus, you know once we start winning, you guys are gonna start praising us again. It's just the media becomes hyenas because it's just like I said, dude sports is reported just like the news is and you got to take every little thing and just milk it milk it down to a t until you can find a new story and so the way phil would handle himself you could tell dude that he just understood it's like we have a an accomplishment here right we have a goal here is that it's just to win and that's that's how he handled it it's like all the outside noise all the distractions he did not care about that stuff and i have such a massive respect for him. It's like, even now, he has 10 championships under his belt. 10. And they retired right afterwards. It's like he went out when he wanted to go out. And I have such a massive respect for that guy. It's like, there's no other coach in this league like him. And I might sound a little biased saying this as a Spurs fan, but it's like Popovich is up there as well. Same thing with like Jerry Sloan. But no one's touching Phil. And I think the idea that he got lucky with, with those two players, I think that's, Maybe a small part of it, consistency is is key to everything. It's just like the fact that he could stick around and he only coached two teams and and got multiple championships out of both of them and was domineering. It's like you dominated the 90s and the 2000s. That's not just luck. That is totally not just luck. There was another part of this this documentary that kind of killed me. It's this guy named Jerry Krause, who was their GM, who... God, dude, he was so annoying. He must have been dead or something, because they didn't, they kept talking about him in past tense, they didn't show him or anything, but all the footage they have of him, he would just, he seemed like this weaselly little dude who just hated the idea that, of course, he was the one who put together the this Bulls team and drafted everybody and made sure they got their money right so they could stick around for a couple of years, and it's like, you know, they were winning, and all the praise was going to Michael Jordan, but he just would sit in the back, be all jealous and... You know, he'd look off, side. you know, give a little side-eye thing to, like, Jordan as he walked by. It's like, God, this guy really tried to tear apart this team. Uh, But I I think stuff like that, man, it it really hurts teams. Because it's like, GMs a lot of times, man, sure, they're very, very important, but it's like they're unsung heroes of the game. And a lot of times, man, those guys get jealous. It, It happens. It still happens to this day. Um, you see teams that put together, I, I always think of like Jed York with the 49ers, where he got rid of like Harbaugh, there was just some weird type of bad blood going on between those guys, and it's like, he got rid of them, it's like, GMs get weirdly like salty, you don't ever want to be a GM if you're in sports. There was even a point where like, um, he made a statement or something about talking about, you know, well, you know, players and coaches, they don't just win games, you know, it's a front office situation, I was like, shut up dude, you shut, We just stop being so salty, will you just come out and say, hey man, I- can I get a, can I, like he did like the little weird anime girl thing where you put the two fingers together? It's like, can I get a little bit of you know, thank you or something? It's like, shut up. Let's go out there and win. I I guess too, it's like as a GM, you don't get paid a lot, and you don't get the recognition, but it's like you got job security. I'll give you that. I just I felt like it was really weird because he was, he was like a shadow over the Bulls for a very long time. And it's like people don't see that. I guess. But it's like there's so many things that were trying to tear apart this Bulls team over there. They, they were so dominating. It's like your human emotion get in the way. It's like I think at this point, man, if you're a GM, you have to love the sport more than you love anything else. It's like it's gotta be the sport and then, you know, like your your family and stuff like that and your your own kind of intentions. It's like it's gotta be that way because if you do start winning, you're not getting any of that praise. Because there was even a point in the documentary where, like, Scottie Pippen, who was literally the right-hand man to Jordan, who was absolutely his support, was not getting any money. Like, he was top of the bulls, and, and he was, like, second in scoring, number one in defense. Like, he was absolutely the dude. Pippen was the man. And that dude was making, like, ten bucks an hour. Right? And it didn't bother him. I mean, it bothered him in a, in a way where it's like, come on, man, can I get some money? Jesus. But it wasn't to the point where he wanted to tear apart that Bulls team the way Jerry did. You know, he wasn't like he'd come out and be all salty to the media and be like, you know, well, you know, I I score points too. It's like, can you guys show me some attention? You know, it just, sometimes, man, the human human element really can tear apart something that's way bigger than yourself. And uh, it was really selfish. Thank God that Jerry Krause did not completely destroy that team. Uh, Speaking of taking apart that team, though, there was a part of this that I, I look, you know sometimes you 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 kind of hear about stuff, you read about it. I wasn't around per se uh, when the bulls were this dominating. I was born, I was born in 93, but I was you know I was a literal baby when the, when the bulls were this dominant. And so as you grow up and I was getting into the game, you kind of just read and hear about stuff, but to see it play out, uh, that three peat that they had from 91, 92, and 93, and then to see Jordan just retire, and to see like the pandemonium it cra- you know, it, it created, and just the, uh, you know, what's going to happen? Is Jordan really retiring? Why is he doing this? I think it it, it was nuts to probably witness if you're around back then, especially if you're a fan of the Bulls. Just the fact that you are on top of the world right now. You have literally won three championships in a row, and. You want to retire when you're at literally the peak of your game you know jordan was still that was prime jordan um they got into it a little bit as far as like being tired which i could totally understand um this is the thing about basketball and i think this is the thing that's so different from any other sport it's like most basketball guys don't really get a crazy good break right you play from you play from like october to essentially like may now, here's the other thing to that is, like, if you do get all the way to the finals, you got to add on an extra two months for the playoffs. Uh, you get to play in July. You play until, like, the beginning of July. Then you get a little break from, like, August, September, October. So that's roughly only, like 20 weeks. that You get to just have off. Now, mind you, too, during that, that time off, you're not just, you know, sipping pina coladas on the beach. Like you're only doing that for maybe a week. Then you're right back in the gym. Because we have to start training for the off-season. We have to start training for preseason. We have to get in new rookies. We have to start OTAs. Training camp has to start. We have to start playing with drills. Uh, there's a potential uh, point where some guys might not come back, so we have to start game planning for that. Um, it never really stops. And on top of that, as well, you know, every four years you have the Olympics. If you're one of the top caliber guys, you know, you go play overseas for. A couple of weeks as well. They showed that with Jordan. And you just... Look, man, when you're winning three championships in a row, you're never taking a break. It just... It doesn't stop. You know, there's 20 weeks really only feels like maybe four weeks. Right? And that's the only time that you, you get to just kind of have to yourself. And, and, of course, even in that time, it's like, what do you really do? Right? You're probably not in, a, in a, an ability or, or want to, you know, maybe go anywhere. Because you're traveling all the time you're going to canada you're going to the east coast you're going to the west coast uh you know on a daily basis imagine just hopping on a plane all the time so it's like when you finally get a break it's like what do you do you know you, you get home and your wife wants to you know let's go to the palmas like god jesus christ i don't want to get on another plane i don't want to do it Your kids want to do stuff it's like you're human man that fatigue really starts to set in especially when you don't feel it now obviously if you play basketball you probably love the game But like anything else in life, you love to do something. There's just too much of a good thing sometimes. So when I saw that that three-peat thing and you see that Jordan was just completely just, he was running on fumes at that point, I think you could tell that the game had just got to him. It's like he was doing something that hadn't been done before. Winning three championships in a row, being the completely most dominant player in the league, carrying the Bulls team for that long. It's like, of course it's going to get to you. It's going to get to a point where basketball is just, it, it probably didn't feel fun for him anymore. On a, And on top of that as well, they had covered the fact that his dad had got shot, uh, was driving somewhere in North Carolina, pulled over because he was tired and he just got mugged. It was just a, a random act of violence. He was in the wrong place, wrong time, and his his father passed away. And you could tell that Jordan really loved his dad. All through the documentary, you could tell that, you know, his dad was just there for all the championships, there for everything. That was his, his father figure in life. And to lose that uh, at that point in your life where you're just on top of the world and to have that kind of news happen to you and, and everybody knows about it. I'm sure that if anybody else was in that position, they'd probably think about it too, where they go, you know what, man, maybe it's time. I know we're in a position right now where we've never been in, we are most dominant, but I still just, I need to take a break. I need to just step back and just and kind of figure some stuff out. It's it happens to all of us, you know. It just wasn't really heard of back then, uh, but you needed it. And it, it was cool to see Jordan kind of transition into into baseball and stuff like that. You know, a lot of times it, this also goes back to the fact that I would just read about the stuff that you know Jordan sucked at baseball. It's like he didn't necessarily suck at the game. It's just. Sometimes, I maybe mean, you transition to stuff and it just doesn't doesn't necessarily work out. It's like people wanted Jordan to come play baseball and just start hitting dingers and taking people field like you know, freaking A. Rod or Jeter did back when the early Yankee days. It wasn't a Case. It turns out he was actually a pretty good like he would get like singles like right down the middle. Like watching his footage playing, I was like, you know what? That's not that bad, dude. Like that's really beneficial, especially for baseball. It's like when you can get singles and just get on base. Like that's that's almost as important as just getting home runs. Right, like you could take that all day. They were hitting that. They were hitting Jordan with breakers and stuff, and all these pitchers kind of figured it out because Jordan's like seven foot tall, and it's like it's really hard for him to get a really good aim on the bat. But his transition to baseball not that bad. I don't really think that. Uh, I think his documentary did a pretty good, unbiased look at how he played the game really well, and and got to do that, and and just him taking a break. I I really I really really did like that that part of it. Because of course you hear about Jordan retiring, and it's like people were even making theories about it that you know maybe he got in a little too deep with his uh, his gambling buddies and maybe got into some weird loans. It was like it wasn't, man. It was just s- something bad happened in his life, and he just just needed to think about it, right? It just you, you need to step away. And I really I really appreciate Jordan for doing that, and it's keeping his composure too throughout the whole thing. It's like watching this documentary, having to watch him talk about things that i'm sure he probably didn't really want to talk about but he knew that like look we want to do a really good insightful look at the bulls during the 90s and so we need all the info i i give a lot of credit to that guy for doing that and just it showed a human element to jordan that i think most people don't really have because it's like when you think of michael jordan you think of the actual legend himself but you don't really get to see the aspects of it where it was tough he sacrificed a lot man especially your body too you take a lot away from me, man, when you were just playing basketball. I, I love the game. I still I still play continually all the time, but, like, I'm not Jordan level, but I'm just saying, when you go play on hardtop and then you come back and your knees are just on fire, and you're just like, Jesus, man, I think I'm getting old now. I still want to play this game all the time. But It's like I don't have the, the energy for it sometimes, and I don't really think I have the knees for it anymore. It's like... just happens i I can only imagine how it feels for those guys when you have to play 82 games plus just running all the time that's not even including practice that's not including you know just being a really tall person just having to walk around all the time just putting all kinds of pressure on your knees it's just like it's gotta suck it's really gotta suck but it's like the fact that they can make a living off of it and just be so entertaining a lot of kudos to all those guys for doing that oh yeah um, there's so much to talk about with this documentary, too. I did, I did like that we got a little more of Rodman. I didn't, I, for me, it's the same thing, right? I see Dennis Rodman, and you see him, like, hanging out with, uh, Kim Jong-un in, in North Korea. Turns out he was a really big basketball fan, too. And you just kind of see him doing all these kind of wacky stuff and just being weird. But you don't realize, dude, that dude was a prowess. Like, that guy really put in some work, uh, to be defensively, like, one of the best guys. Like, he was on Draymond's level. Uh, for the Warriors back in the day, or even like, maybe even Kawhi level, when he was a really good defensive player. And you just see this dude wearing like a, he has like bleach, like leopard spots in his hair and stuff, and you he just just sleeping with Carmen Electra or whoever he was sleeping with. and He just, like as a basketball player, like I actually kind of saw that element to him that I just never really saw before. To me, Dennis Rodman was just always a guy that was just flashy, that just like he knew how to keep himself in the limelight. And it turns out that his game actually spoke for himself. It's like, that dude was really, really good. I can only imagine how it must have felt knowing you got your shot blocked by a guy who has, like, lime green in his hair. Especially back in the 90s. Like, goddamn, did you get blocked by Dennis Rodman? You know, coming back to the bench and all all your teammates are roasting you. It's gotta suck. It's really gotta suck. But it was cool to see aspects of this put in there. That was the thing, though, that like, kind of confused me a little bit was just, like, I couldn't really tell if this was a Jordan documentary or a, a Bulls documentary. Because there was just so many little elements kind of thrown in there with the fact that, like, this is very heavily dominated by Jordan and what he was going through, what he felt, and kind of his, uh, his point of view of the team. So I think if, if you're going to watch this documentary, definitely look at it from a, a viewpoint of just Jordan. Uh, the other thing I, I really did like as well was uh, the shoe stuff. Being a sneakerhead uh, myself, I, I don't really don't collect too much anymore. But back then, dude, there was such a hype and such a culture on just shoes, and it all started with Jordans. It always started with him. Even now, like I love the, I love the kind of the, the variety that's going on now. Like I think LeBron's shoe is amazing. I think Kyrie's shoe is actually really really cool, just to wear like rock off court. Same thing with, like, Kobe's, the the real low-cut kind of shoe that he got inspired from, from uh, watching soccer. There's so much of it now, and I think all of that comes from Jordan. Because he was one of the few guys that would come out and, like, he really made sneakers popular. Uh, especially the Ones, man. The Chicago Ones to this day. I, I love even, too, if you've uh, ever seen Into the Spider-Verse, Chicago Ones are the ones that Miles Morales is rocking in that movie, in the beginning. right? And he has them, like, unlaced that that's such like a Brooklyn thing too like it's just it's cool to see like how that culture and this like that sense of fashion has come into the mainstream and very positively too i think that's the cool thing too it's like anybody could be a sneakerhead right it's it always amazes me too some people that you watch and go oh, wow you you like jordans you like stuff like that it's like athletes singers you know movie critics just anybody literally anybody could just be like i love the shoes and stuff, and it's like the Royal Blues and stuff like that. I, to this day, I still really like the Ones and definitely the Threes. I think all those Infrareds as well as the breads are such a beautiful looking shoe. And it's like, even back then, man, you didn't really have like a, a person who came in and, and really made a shoe for basketball. It's like, yeah, sure, you had Ponies and, and you had Converse and stuff, and it's like, those shoes were cool, but those shoes weren't really engineered for playing basketball in. It's, like, that's one thing that Nike has really innovated over the last couple of years is, like, big men shoes, like, having, like, these little cushion pads and the, the zoom bubbles inside of them, uh, really getting, like, that mesh going so you, your foot could breathe. It's, like, that stuff is really, really cool to see, uh, just the way you can innovate in it and play the game with it, right? You know, you can play outside a hard top with certain shoes, like the Crazy 8s, and, you know, if you want to play on a... On, an actual courts, you know you you start rocking your ones and hopefully they don't get scuffed i i did even like how they incorporated uh spike lee into this and kind of showed like he was such an avid basketball fan and just like his um kind of his involvement with the game as well it's like i'm so envious of that dude and that was another thing too it's like i think a lot of times man especially younger people who see spike lee they just know him as like the old guy who just goes to knicks games and just always dressed like a knicks fan it's like no Spike Lee is a really, really good director. He really has a a really good talent and eye for filming stuff and making movies that feel so down to earth. Especially in that kind of culture, in that hip-hop slash sneaker culture. It really just made it feel popular. It was one of the reasons why... um, I he didn't direct this movie, but... Uh, the reason why I want to talk about like white man can't jump this weekend. It's like I it just it makes you like basketball just a little bit more because you understand that there's a swagger to it. There's an attitude that you have, a confidence that you get from just playing the game, rocking the shoes, and just overall just being like that dude, just being on top of the world and I love it so much. That's the thing that sneakers really give to you. It's like it gives you a sense of fashion and just confidence that you don't really get from, wearing anything else. It's like no other sport has ever done that for the the mainstream before. It's like, you know, people aren't walking around with like shoulder pads playing football. It's like, you know, it's just it it's such a cool aspect of the game. I think even I think even jersey-wise, I think rocking basketball jerseys is way cooler than like even baseball and football ones. It's like football ones are a little big, you know, it just doesn't really it could get a little weird sometimes wearing them. You just look like you're wearing like a, a giant sundress sometimes if you don't work it right. And in baseball too, same thing. It's like you're buttoning up. I mean, I, I put that close second, but getting like a really cool basketball jersey and just like either rocking like an undershirts or just n- no undershirt at all. It just it looks cool. It feels good too sometimes. I, I got a a Brooklyn Nets jersey that's inspired by Biggie Smalls that I just got. It's like I freaking love that thing. I wear it all the time. So it's just like I think basketball just on a on a coolness level, if I could actually say that, I think it really, really, it feels good. I think it's definitely on that level, it's the best. I think basketball really does that for people. And so, I think if you're somebody who wants to get into the game or is really into the game, this is absolutely the documentary for you. Um, And if maybe you're not really into it and you're just like, you know what, you just wanna see sports and just see like a team that was really dominant, this is also for it too. and like I said, it is a little confusing as far as, like, timeline. The movie does it does show you that it's going back and forth, but it's very blink, and you'll miss it. Uh, but, yeah, I'm definitely going to give this documentary an A. This is uh, really, really good. I think as far as, like, sports documentaries, this is up there. Uh, I wouldn't put this as good as, like, some of the 30 for 30s. I like those two only because, like, they're a little bit shorter, and they kind of condense down some stuff that um, a lot of other teams don't really do as well. Same thing goes, like, for, like... Uh, my football life that they like the NFL Network kind of runs. Those are pretty good too. But I think just overall, it's just a, a unbiased like let's just look at the Bulls back in the '90s kind of documentary. This will keep your attention. So, anyways, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to us as well. We will be back on our regularly scheduled program next week as we uh, review the movie White Man Can't Jump, and we also have some other. Uh, episodes coming up that I still have in the back that I have not edited, so that's my fault. My bad. And also, too, we have a Patreon. Yes, come join our Patreon. I will actually link it on Instagram, but go check out Cinema Flavor. Go check out the, um, the bio on our Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and go subscribe as well, man. It's a dollar. Actually, it's $3 and $5. You'll get bonus episodes. You'll get some cool stickers, and you'll also get to uh, pick the movie that we review sometime in the near future. So if you're really interested in that and you like what we do, absolutely hop on. No worries, though. The show will always be free. Okay? We just uh, we just want to do a little extra because we've been doing this for a couple of years and, you know, we kind of want to up up the ante for our podcast. So as always, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting and we will see you later. Bye.